Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, recording on a Sunday, one day after our Pistons take down the Warriors, giving them their fourth loss of the season, second loss in three nights, uh, and a night that was a celebration, a celebration of Ben Wallace and of the team, uh, the old going-to-work Pistons. So we're going to run through all of that and also run through the games over the last few weeks. Uh, Our podcast recently have kind of focused on certain things, so we want to run down some games as we get close to the halfway point of the season. Uh, so thank you everyone again for listening and supporting our podcast, the best way to stay in touch and to continue to find it. Of course, our home, DetroitBadBoys.com, an SB Nation site, and also on iTunes, iTunes.com slash DetroitBadBoys. And also, if you're just searching on iTunes on any sort of mobile device, you can find it just by searching Detroit Bad Boys. Make sure to subscribe. New episodes are up there as soon as they are posted, as well as our homepage for the podcast, BlogTalkRadio.com slash DetroitBadBoys. All of the places to stay in touch with us. And joining me this week, back for another duet episode, is Ben Galker. How are you, Ben? Doing great. It's good to be back. Still basking in the glory of that wonderful Golden State Warriors game. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, well, let's start there. I know we want to talk about our all-star picks as well uh, as we're getting you know close to midway point of the season. But let's start with that game last night. Uh, I'm sure this was one of the highlight games of the season. It was the retirement of Ben Wallace's number three jersey, as well as taking on the NBA champs in the best team to this point in the season, the Golden State Warriors. So it was a big night. It was a big night for the Pistons. And the Pistons last night, I think, shocked a lot of people, especially with that recent loss by the Warriors just a few nights ago, beating the Warriors 113-95. What did you think of the win, Ben? I almost felt like it was uh, (laughs) flip-flopped. I mean, I felt like... (laughs) Going into it, the the Pistons are obviously a double digit underdog, and literally from the from the get go, the Pistons were just all over the Warriors on both sides of the ball. Jumped out to the early lead, and it, the game was never really in doubt. I mean, the Warriors never even really got close. The Pistons were able to control everything: the tempo of the game, the offensive side of the game, and then other than Steph Curry going off, really shutting down every single other member of the Warriors except for Clay Thompson who scored a little bit late so uh yeah total total domination a totally dominant performance maybe the most dominant performance the Pistons have had all season uh against a historic uh a historically good Golden State Warriors team that's true and I think a big part of it too was you're right just to see Andre Drummond dominate the boards to see the bench actually play well I every Bench player had a, a positive plus-minus. Uh, Marcus Morris with a plus-minus last night, a plus-30. He was so huge. Uh, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. Uh, we needed that effort out of him last night. It was just an all-around team effort and kind of made you 
think back to those going to work piston days when it was a team effort. And it was just kind of interesting that we were celebrating that night, you know, one of the prime players of that that decade of basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Five starters in double digits on the Pistons side of the ball. Aaron Baines had really limited time, the only other player in double digits. But everybody who played made an impact in, in some way or another. Even Steve Blake, who sort of got called down unexpectedly with Jennings twisting his ankle a little bit, knocked down a couple shots, had a couple nice assists. So, yeah, everybody who played contributed in a positive way. Uh, which is not something we've seen uh, every night from these Pistons. So uh, a really refreshing experience. Yeah, and I would even say just to take their performance a a step farther, since the beginning of the year, outside of the Pacers game, the first game of 2016, the team is giving pretty good effort. You look at the two other losses um, coming recently to Memphis and to San Antonio, the team still looked good. Uh, San Antonio was just Tony Parker and really just a better team that beat us. And then Memphis was another Memphis loss like that. I, I was I was so shocked to lose that game again the way we did, especially with the way we came back. I'm not sure if you got to see any of that Memphis game. Uh, I saw the end, yeah. I didn't see most of the first part of the game, but I saw the end of it. Yeah, Mario Chalmers, 25 points and 8 assists against us was just just devastating. It's these guys that have been fine players. They're having okay seasons for the Grizzlies. Matt Barnes and Mario Chalmers to be the difference in two games against the Pistons with, you know, a scoop shot and a half-court shot to beat us uh, was just just terrible. But maybe it was enough to motivate us going into the Warriors game. Yeah, I mean, certainly on the defensive side of the ball against uh, the Warriors, the Pistons were as engaged as I've seen them all season. Uh, Steph Curry obviously is Steph Curry, and he's – He's literally the definition of unstoppable right now. So him going out for 38 points actually didn't even bother me. I was so impressed with the way uh, Draymond Green was defended. I was so impressed with the way Iggy and Harrison Barnes were defended, literally shutting down every single player not named Steph Curry. Um, Absolutely. I I would hope that that Memphis loss, another sort of fluky loss, motivated them to not get in the position where you can lose on a fluky last-minute play. And on the defensive side of the ball, the effort, as you mentioned, was fantastic from start to finish. So presumably riding high, being motivated by the accomplishments of Ben Wallace and that going-to-work Pistons team, uh, and wanting to live up to that reputation, and they certainly did that. It was nice to see a win come on a night like that because I remember going to the game against the Miami Heat, I want to say it was two seasons ago, when the team brought out all of the Bad Boys Pistons. And it was a, a big celebration night, and almost the, the crowd was almost half and half with the LeBron fans, and it was you know his last year in Miami. Uh, it, it was... It was not, and it was ended up being a, a blowout loss for the Pistons. It was nice to see us on a night when we were celebrating a bit of our history to look really good. I, I think that was really nice because I'd been to a few games over the last few seasons, and that Bad Boys game sticks out to me where the team just looked flat. So it was nice to have a good performance uh, on a night that was you know definitely celebratory. So I, I thought that was great. And you're right, it was the defense. I, I think Andre Drummond... Uh, the way he was able to control the paint in a way that maybe I haven't noticed it or haven't been watching it this season, but I was looking through some of the advanced stats, and defensively, this is a season where we're starting to see that his rim protection is much better, and he's becoming a much better defender, and I think that's huge for him. Absolutely. His post game on offense is, I think, kind of what's been talked about the most because there's been a very obvious improvement. I mean, you can just see that 
yeah, he still has his awkward moves every here and that here and, and again, but for the most part, he looks really comfortable in the post on offense now. And so people are talking about that. But yes, absolutely. It's his team defense. He's not missing as many rotations. He's still not perfect, but he's not missing as many rotations. And he is doing a really good job um, with respect to dribble penetration mm-hmm. um, in terms of rotating over and being a bother. I, I can't recall how many blocks he had. Three, I think, yeah. uh, against the Warriors. That's a great number for him. Uh, it's a great number for anybody, but a great number for him in particular. He really is improving, uh, and that is a fantastic thing to see uh, because probably the greatest weakness in his game in his first two seasons uh, was his overall team defense missed rotations. So, yeah, absolutely good to see him improving there. Yeah, and that's why I, I really questioned if he could work well with Greg Monroe. Was just I was worried defensively about both of them, and it's nice to see Andre Drummond uh, progress on that end. And I, I think – a lot of this has to do with coaching, uh, and you think about Stan Van and the job he did with Dwight Howard, turning him into a defensive player of the year. I I think if this trend continues, that's something that maybe we can expect out of Andre Drummond because I'm starting to notice things are just really improving. You're right. There's still some things that he needs to he needs to work on, but he's still young enough that I, I think with a few more years, this could be a a definite you know one of the one of the better defensive centers in the league. Yeah, and your point about coaching is important. I mean, thinking about his his high school career, when you're that dominant physically, uh, you know, it's very common for players who have those sorts of top-notch athletic and physical skills to just coast on those when they're playing such a lower, you know, a lower level of competition and only one year in college with with a very tumultuous coaching situation where he was. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, his first year in the league, we we all know what we saw for all those years with Pistons coaching yeah. and Van Gundy has definitely made his mark on the defensive side of the ball this year in particular. So yeah, having a, a top level coach, I mean, I'd put Stan Van Gundy up there in the top three or five right now in terms of what he's doing uh, as a coach, not only as a GM, that's certainly paying dividends. We're seeing it pay dividends for Andre Drummond on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, definitely. And just turning over to the Warriors a bit, I think it was a good game plan that the Pistons had, and I think it's one that maybe teams around the NBA should look at. Allow Steph Curry to do whatever he wants. And if you can stop everyone else, like you said, if you can do a good enough job defending everyone else, there are nights Steph Curry is probably good enough to beat an entire NBA team. (laughs) Uh, But even putting up 38 last night, it was a comfortable win for the Pistons. So I think you just need to make it really hard on the rest of that, I hate to say supporting cast, but everyone else on the Warriors besides Steph Curry. I think it was a I, I think it was a good um, strategy last night. I totally agree, and I think a really pivotal part of that was the way they defended Draymond Green. Draymond is really sort of the Swiss Army knife. He He's their multi-tool. He does all sorts of things on both sides of the court, and he really looked frustrated on the offensive side of the ball in particular. Only one for seven. Uh, he still did manage to rack up nine assists, which is obviously impressive for a power forward. But uh, I watched this game with a friend and several times throughout the night uh, made comments on how well Marcus Morris matched up with Draymond when those two were matched up, just in terms of the physical skill sets and the athleticism. Draymond often has a really big advantage against NBA power forwards, but uh, Marcus was able to frustrate him uh, when those two were matched up. And then I think Anthony Tolliver uh, did a nice job in that matchup when they were on the floor together as well. Yeah, and I think uh, Marcus Morris going forward, I'd like to see him more at the four and more defending 
fours. I think part of it, too, uh, the reason I want that is I want more minutes for Stanley Johnson. And I wouldn't mind seeing Ursan Ilyasova slide and play more minutes with the bench. I, I think what he can give a team offensively as a spot-up shooter and, and somebody for maybe Brandon Jennings to find, uh, it might be nice. That I think that's what I would like to see is is uh, look for Morris to play more minutes at the four and defending fours because you're right. What we saw last night, he can definitely handle it. Yeah, and he's been so good uh, in terms of being sort of a mid-post player. Um, but either once or twice last night, he faced up and he went off the dribble, which he hasn't done a lot of. And you'd have to think that if he were matched up against um, opposing power forwards, his face-up game would be a really uh difficult matchup for a lot of backup forwards in particular. I think Jody Meeks coming back healthy will be key in that because right now, um, in order to get Stanley Johnson sliding over to the three, which you would think would be necessary in that second group to get Marcus over the four, Mm -hmm. you've got to have some competent uh, shooting guard play. And right now, other than Stanley, they don't have anyone in terms of bench play. So Jody Meeks coming back, running running a lineup. We've talked about this before. Jennings, Meeks, Johnson, Morris, uh, and Baines, that's a really interesting second unit uh, that can cause a lot of problems for defenses because you've got some really interesting skill sets from one through five, and Baines has really showed that he's a, a viable post-up option as well. So hurry back, Jody Meeks, and hmm. yeah, let's throw Marcus out there at the four with that unit, or potentially Ilya Sova, like you've said, and, and see Marcus run a little bit with the starting group at the power forward slot. Yeah, either way, I think that unit needs a change, but you're right. I didn't even think about the depth being a problem. You're right. We just don't have that option right now because of the backup two guard spot. Uh, and I wonder if that is maybe the position that starts to get the focus in trade rumors for the Pistons, uh, even with Meeks coming back. I- I'd be interested to-, to see if that's the position we we try to shore up uh, going into the trade deadline. We talked about this. I'll be surprised if there's a major move, but the obvious candidates right now are backup shooting guard finding a reliable three-point shooter that you can use situationally just in case Meeks doesn't come back you know up to 100% by playoff time and then you know power forward is a long-term weakness but certainly in the short term shooting guard has to be a concern the other thing without a trade that we really haven't seen yet is the Jennings Jackson backcourt even together in limited minutes we just haven't seen them try that I'm still hoping that gets a a look because that that wouldn't require any sort of trades that could just require some some new strategies so maybe we'll get a chance to see that here hopefully Jennings is healthy he didn't hurt himself too badly and we'll get a chance to see it yeah I was going to ask that uh do you know the status of of Brandon Jennings it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal but definitely we we kept him out and and gave Steve Blake some of those minutes uh, down the stretch yeah, I haven't seen anything. The way that they described it during the game was as a jammed ankle, which I thought was a really odd way to describe it, but they said it <laughs> yeah. multiple times. So to me, that even implies that it's not as serious as a sprain or a strain, but I haven't seen anything official yet. Yeah, I would be interested if we see him uh, in home game Monday against Chicago, but maybe for that uh, upcoming road stretch, uh, because we go Wednesday through Monday, four games on the road. I, I bet we don't see him for Chicago, but hopefully he's healthy for that stretch because all of a sudden these games are becoming really important. Uh, if you look at just where we are in the East and now through 40 games, uh, just want to get your opinion. Is this where you saw the team through 40 games, 22 and 18? No, it's not. We're better than I thought. I really thought, like I think several other people did, that waiting for Meeks and Jennings to get back, the Pistons would hover somewhere right around 500, maybe a couple games below 500. And even if that were the case, they'd be well positioned for a Meeks and Jennings 
return, and they're better. They're significantly better than that. Four games above above five hundred right True. now, and it's a good thing too because if they were if they were a couple games under five hundred, we probably wouldn't be talking playoffs in the way <laughs> we are uh, right now. But not in I the think East, all which of is the surprising. credit in the world goes to Van Gundy. Uh, for that he's done a fabulous job yeah absolutely and who would have thought that you would have to have a record above 500 to fight for the seventh and eighth spot in the east this year uh but you're right this is definitely credit to stan van gundy and i'm not sure if he'll get any looks for coach of the year uh but the job he's doing with this roster has to be under some consideration and i know there are many people around the nba who think highly of stan but the job he's doing this season and with this roster that, again, a lot of people did not believe in. If you go back to the preseason, I think it was 11th and 12th was most mostly where you would see the Pistons in terms of like Eastern Conference previews and projections. So to have this team fighting for, God, we're only a game and a half out of the five seed right now, uh, I'm sure it's it's surprising. And for me, I, they are uh, ahead of schedule right now because I was thinking this team, uh, you know, I was bullish thinking this is a 42-win basketball team, and right now they're on pace for 45. So um, if you look at the schedule second half of the year, I think there's a good chance that we can, you know, hopefully keep this going. And you're right, it's it's credit to credit to the coach and to the play, of course, of, of Jackson and Drummond. Yeah, and even if Van Gundy isn't in the conversation for coach of the year, He's also an executive, so how interesting would that be to see a coach be in the conversation for executive of the year? Because not only has he put together a very productive roster, he's put together a very flexible roster that has all sorts of options uh, moving forward to build around the the Drummond-Jackson core. And one more thing on this point, Van Gundy has done a brilliant job with Reggie Jackson. He is playing much better and much more consistent basketball this year uh, than he did a year ago when he came over to Detroit. And I think that's why a lot of fans were worried because he didn't click right away. He actually played very poorly early on. Uh, but Van Gundy has, is obviously the point guard whisperer, as we've talked about on the blog. Yes. And he has Reggie playing just fantastic point guard basketball. And Reggie, if he makes the all-star game, he's a legit all-star who has earned it. So both of those two, Jackson and Van Gundy, deserve a whole lot of credit for where the Pistons are right now. Yeah, and I think you're right. This is another someone who should also be considered for executive of the year. And actually, there's a great fan post up right now by Al Hapino talking about the Pistons' upcoming roster decisions. And we are in such a great situation in terms of the cap, what players we have under contract, and the length of those contracts and the number. Uh, even before we add, you know, presumably a max contract on there for Andre Drummond, which right now looks like, you know, absolutely he's a max player. Uh, we're in a very nice situation financially and going into next season, this this is a team that, you know, they can keep a good amount of this core together and still have some room to build. They would still have a max contract, even giving one to Andre uh, available that they could, you know, possibly wave out there in free agency. So, um th- I, again, it's you're right. He's not just coach, but executive. I, I, he has to be one of the few that will get votes for both. I would think so, and he'll be very deserving to be in both conversations. Yeah, because it's not like Doc Rivers, not not to throw shade, but it's not like Doc Rivers is getting much attention as executive of the year. So, again, these the guys that have those positions, there's very few of them. Uh, Popovich maybe is one of them, although um, I, he wouldn't be the person to get the votes for executive of the year. There's just very few of these guys who can who can handle both. When I was looking at the NBA standings, I was also looking at just the stats leaders. And Andre, of course, still leading rebounds with 15.5. Uh, 
I wanted to ask you, of the current stat leaders, and I'll give them to you, which one do you think sustains? And this was part of like my pitch for Andre Drummond being an all-star starter to, to a few people, but I want to uh, do it with you as well. Uh, Steph Curry, Curry averaging 30 points a game, Andre 15 rebounds a game, Rondo 11 assists, and Hassan Whiteside still four blocks a game. Which one of those do you think is the easiest to sustain from that group? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Um, well, Whiteside is probably going to win the block battle, even if he doesn't sustain his four blocks right. per game. So if we're talking about per game averages, you know, I'm not sure Whiteside stays at four, but he's probably going to lead the league in blocks. But I think Drummond has proven to be this, – this monster rebounder is not a fluke. His early season stretch of 2020s were not accidents. He is a dominant rebounder. Uh, and I would be very su- surprised to see him drop below 15 rebounds a game. He's at 15 and a half right now, I believe. Um, yeah, he's he's going to sustain that. He's going to be the league's league uh, league leading rebounder in a by a pretty decent margin. Yeah, definitely. Because when you look at, at rebounds, and this was kind of the the point I wanted to make, and I'm glad we agree on this was uh, the just 15 at 15.5. It seems like that number's come down, but now it, it's kind of. It seems like that's where uh, it might kind of settle uh, because it's been settling around 15 rebounds for the last month or so. Uh, but just the the difference between him and DeAndre Jordan at two is almost two rebounds a game. And then the difference between Andre at one and DeMarcus Cousins at five is 4.4 rebounds per game. So he's definitely going to finish, uh, if not one, which would be surprising, but uh, comfortably in the top three. I would be shocked it would uh, if he if he didn't. Uh, but you're right, it's probably Whiteside, if those numbers went down even significantly, uh, there's still just so much room between him and the person at two for, for blocks per game. Uh, are you surprised by Whiteside this season? I- I'm completely shocked that, that he's for real. Yeah, so Whiteside actually is um, one of the players who the advanced stats have really loved for quite a while. So when he really burst onto the scene for Miami last year, a lot of us who pay attention to those stats were kind of thinking, yeah, you know, this this is a player who showed some signs of being a really, really good player. He just never got the chance, and when he was given it, he excelled. Kind of like Ben Wallace in that way, where his permanent numbers uh, look really good when he was an Orlando Magic player, uh, just didn't play a lot, and then all of a sudden burst onto the scene in Detroit. Similar situation with Whiteside. So I'm not shocked. I am um, I'm happy for him, to be honest with you, because I, I – if he were a Piston, he would be my favorite Piston. I love the way yeah. he plays. I love the way he approaches the defensive side of the game. Um, so he's one of those guys that the numbers kind of saw coming, uh, and when he got the minutes, he really he really proved uh, that what we had seen in those numbers wasn't a fluke. Yeah, that's interesting. And I wonder this summer uh, with his free agency if he'll be another Max guy. I, I have to think uh, with the way that you know Pat Riley – uh, talks that this is a guy they they do want to have as part of the future of this team. Uh, I didn't know that. That was someone that wasn't on my radar before uh, he kind of burst onto the scene last year. Uh, and I'm just I was surprised that he's been able to keep it going. You know, he's in the top five in rebounds, and this is a guy who's averaging basically a double double a game while being one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. Uh, it's just it's pretty surprising. Yeah, I mean he's. Like taking a stat like wins produced for 48 minutes, that's one of my go-to numbers. He's always been significantly better than average. So for him to to sustain significantly better than average play wasn't 
wasn't a big surprise to me. Sometimes you do see, you know, guys who play just a small number of minutes and they've got really good permanent averages, you know, sort of fall off when they get the opportunity to play big minutes. Um, but his numbers were so good uh, during that time period that, yeah, I'm, I'm really not surprised. I think he's probably a little better shot blocker than I would have thought. Um, but his rebounding, yeah, absolutely doesn't surprise me. I, I, I think it's he was impressive before, and now he's just getting the larger role and the chance to do something with it. Yeah, finally getting his chance. A little like Marcus Morris, really. I, I know that there was uh, some articles I read over the summer that this is a guy who, if given the opportunity, might shine, and we, we're seeing it. And he's doing it in big minutes right now, uh, 40 minutes last night against Golden State. I think he's still averaging over 33 minutes a game. Uh, so it's nice that we have one of those as well. But you're right, Whiteside's someone that I think is a surprise to a lot of people and probably, to make an easy segue, uh, is someone that's on that all-star bubble, right? He's yeah, got, he's got to be. Yeah, he's got to be right there. Uh, so I think that's what we want to do as well was just kind of give you an idea of our all-star rosters uh, in both the Eastern and Western conferences and uh, just kind of talk about, I'm sure there's some differences between the two of us. Ben, I haven't seen your list. I'm not sure if you've really looked at mine, so we can just kind of talk through both of them. Uh, let's start in, you know, let's start in the Western Conference. Who do you have as your starters in the West? Yeah, so obvious two picks right off the bat, Curry and Durant. I think those two are shoe-ins, and I actually have them at point guard, point guard and shooting guard. Um, because I think Kawhi Leonard deserves to be an all-star, and he's my small forward. So uh, those three guys, Curry, Durant, Leonard, were easy choices for me. Uh, then, And maybe what people be, will be surprised by is I've got Draymond Green starting at power forward. I think he's been just a fantastic player. His game isn't necessarily built for the all-star game in that he's not a flashy, you know, high point, big dunk or anything like that. Very true. And then at center, I've got DeAndre Jordan because I think he's been the best center out west and is still sort of the definitive defensive center in the NBA. So you've got uh, Curry, Leonard, Durant, Draymond, and DeAndre. So we we do have some some differences between us to start then. So I've got Curry and Thompson uh, as starters, and then Leonard and Durant. Uh, and my starter at center is actually Marcus All. Um, I do have DeAndre on my um, on my All Star list. Um, he's I think my taken the last spot but that for me that didn't mean anything as much as I was just trying to think of who was all-stars and DeAndre was definitely one for me do you have uh, Gasol as an all-star I didn't I didn't I opted for Anthony Davis and Blake Griffin on the bench interesting Um, okay yeah I I was I looked long and hard at Gasol and I thought um personally I just think Anthony Davis is a little bit better um but yeah, Gasol's. I mean, he for me, he was one of my bubble. He was right on the bubble for me, so he was definitely in the conversation. Yeah, Davis was someone I had on the bubble, and my other forwards I had uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Draymond Green, and then uh, DeAndre Jordan, like we said. So, what was? Do you have another forward on your bench then? No, I actually just went with um, Anthony Davis and Blake Griffin, uh, and then I my. If you consider Gallo a four, Dan, Danilo Gallinari, um, he sometimes plays the four. I have him on, on the reserve squad for the West as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think he – because he definitely plays some minutes at the four, although there's such a log jam, I think most of what he's doing for Denver is playing at the three. Um, I haven't f- followed his season as closely. Is he kind of continuing what he what he was doing at the end of last year? Yeah, so he's a pick that I think a lot of players or a lot of people just won't agree with, and that's that's totally fine. Uh, but he's one of those guys who his offensive efficiency 
really shoots him up the charts in terms of some of those advanced stats I was talking about earlier. And in particular, he gets to the line a lot. He makes a lot of his free throws, and he he very rarely turns the ball over. He's just exceptional at taking care of the basketball. So his efficiency numbers um, are, are just really, really, really good, and those efficiency numbers drive a lot of those advanced metrics. So he's not a guy who's just sort of raw totals in terms of number of points, number of rebounds, or anything like that are going to put him in the national conversation. But I think when you dig deeper into the efficiency, he really stands out as a player who's having a fantastic season. Yeah, you're right. There probably aren't the the flashy totals there. But he is someone that it's surprising that he's continued this efficiency uh, in Denver because that's a team that's kind of starving for points, but he's still taking pretty smart shots. Uh, I'm surprised that he's not someone that, uh, and maybe he is, and it's just quiet right now, that the good teams in the NBA aren't targeting because I feel like in a good situation, Danilo Gallinari could be a killer off the bench or a great starter at the, at the three and, you know, still getting some minutes at the four. Uh, I am interested if he, if he sticks in Denver, because I could see some teams looking at him uh, that want to bring some shooting. And like you said, that, that efficient offense that he brings. Um, Well, you know who he'd be a good fit for is Stan Van Gundy. Look, at, think in terms of sort of a Hito Turkoglu, where Gallo is not as good with the ball, not a point forward in the way that Hito was, but does have some ball handling skills. Now, I'm not sure there's room for him on the roster, but he's the type of player I'd love to see Stan Van Gundy get his hands on because I think that that could really work well. Yeah, you're right, and I think he would be potentially a good stretch four. I know his rebounding totals, and that's something that really matters to Stan on a stretch fours is that they're still plus rebounders. Uh, which was kind of part of his defense for going after a guy like Ursan Ilyasova uh, was because he was still you know, a pretty good rebounder. I would have to look into that a little bit more, but I would have to think, if not the stretch four, you're right, just a spot at the three uh, where he can kind of play that, that he-do role. Um, and, he, and he's someone that I think could do that. Yeah, his rebounding definitely isn't as good as some of those other players out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, he's playing a lot of small forward as well, so that, that does impact the rebounding. But yeah, I mean, at 18 true. points a game, almost 19, he's having a career year scoring the ball and still doing that at a pretty good clip uh, when you take into consideration the three-point shooting and the uh, free-throw shooting. Good for Gallo. He was a guy I always liked, and even when he was in New York, there was a, a player that was just a lot of fun to watch, and coming, uh, you know, overcoming the injuries that he's had, it's been nice to see him kind of just round into form, and he's you know, just a very good NBA player. It's nice to see. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you have for guards, uh, your other guards in the Western Conference? Sure. So I went with Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul uh, and James Harden. Okay, so yeah, I've got uh, – I think we agree on a couple of them there. So I've got Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, and then I have uh, Damian Lillard. As... Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good pick. He's on, He's another one of my bubble players, so yeah. Yeah, and if it wasn't for that stretch of games he missed with injury and, and kind of, you know – I think he was struggling a bit for a while, but you know he was he was still seeing big minutes. Um, I think his his efficiency totals would be even higher. But there are times where he is all that Portland has, and there's just so much pressure on him to produce. Uh, it's been nice to see CJ McCollum step up, uh, but Damian Lillard is just still such a big part of that team, and he's putting up good numbers. And I think he deserves it. I think that's a spot that he. Uh, he deserves, but you're right. That's a guy that is probably right on the bubble where Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, I would be shocked if they didn't make the all-star game. Yeah. Lillard's a fantastic player. There's no question about it. And if he were to make the all-star team, it'd be pretty hard to argue against it, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's uh, move over to the Eastern Conference because I'm sure there's more of a conversation here uh, seeing that 
we probably have a few Pistons, maybe, that appear on this list. <laughs> so let's start with uh, your starters in the East. Sure, let's start with Andre Drummond. I've got him as the best starter in the East, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um, so he's my starter at center, even though there isn't technically a starting center. Uh, then I've it pains me to have two Cavs in the starting lineup, but I've got LeBron and Kevin Love at the three and four uh, because I, I think they deserve to be there right now. Uh, and then at point guard and shooting guard, I've got Kyle Lowry, who I think is still quietly just a fantastic player uh, for Toronto. And then Jimmy Butler, who who really is the heart and soul of the Bulls right now. Yeah, I like that you said quietly about Kyle Lowry because I think that's what everyone says before any Toronto Raptor. <laughs> and it might just yeah. be you don't see their games as often, but uh, he's one of those underrated, overrated guys that he's so underrated, I could see this playoffs, him just getting exposed because people just fall in love with him this season. But that's probably looking too far ahead. I do have him as, as a starter in the East. He's had a just a tremendous season, and Jimmy Butler as well. Uh, we agree on the backcourt. The season that he's having, taking over the Bulls, and really taking the spot of that the leader of that team from Derrick Rose, uh, he the season he's having is just tremendous. I've really enjoyed watching uh, Jimmy Butler this season. He is a fantastic player, and you're absolutely correct. He's really he's become the face of the franchise uh, because Derrick Rose just just isn't anymore. And he yeah. very deserving starter, I think, for the, the All Star game. Yeah. So you had LeBron and Kevin Love uh, as your starting forwards. I've got LeBron and I have Paul George. Uh, do you have him as a as an All Star? Yeah, I have him as a reserve, yeah. Yeah, I think he's someone that will definitely be, you know, in the game. Uh, I probably don't – I don't have – I've got Kevin Love as a reserve, and it was probably a little bit of bias because I just couldn't handle two Cavs as starters for the East. <laughs> um, but I do have Andre Drummond as the starting center, and I, I hope I see him as a starter in this game. You're right. It's not the starting center spot anymore. Uh, and I was actually someone when they changed that rule in the voting – to make it just forwards and guards that I liked it. But now that my team has a center that's dominant, I would love if they changed it back because I think there's no doubt that he's the the best center in the East. Yeah. And that was a, a change for me that just didn't make any sense. Um, I, I don't think that centers always make the best all-stars because typically they're your dirty work kind of players. Mm-hmm. They're grabbing rebounds, patrolling the paint. And that doesn't always make for fun all-star games when you're trying to score 140 points or whatever. But I, I agree. I think they should they should change it back to two guards, two forwards, and a center because there are there are some really good big men right now who could lose out on being all-star starters simply because of the way those rules are written. That's very true. And I guess he, Andre is the only – the only true center I have in the East making the all-star game. Do you have another player that plays primarily as at the center spot? Yeah, I have white side on there. Oh, you do have white side on there. Okay. I would consider him really a center um, in Miami. Yeah, definitely. I have, um, uh, I've got uh, for my other forwards, I'll just run through them real quick on the bench. Chris Bosch, Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Love and Pau Gasol. So I guess Pau does play quite a bit at that five, you know, when he's playing with Miritich, but um, you know they've been—I know they've been switching it quite a bit. And to me, he's still—he's still a four. Um, but Paul Gasol, I guess I have as someone that you know is a a four-five. Who are your other forwards in the East? Yeah, so we diverged a little bit here. So oh, I okay. really—I when I built my rosters, I was looking at um, starting point guard, backup point guard, and then all that's the case all the way through. That's just how I approached it mentally. And then two additional reserves that could be from any position. So. Um, I've got Isaiah Thomas from Boston at the my sort of my backup point guard slot. 
Then I've got Paul George as sort of my backup shooting guard, even though he plays all over the place. Then I've got Nicholas Batum, who I think is another guy that people probably won't agree with a whole lot, but he's another guy who's like similar to Gallo. His efficiency numbers are really good. Yeah. Uh, and so he sort of gets overlooked because he doesn't have these really gaudy totals. Then I've got Paul Millsap, who oh. I think the Hawks are starting to figure some things out. Uh, and I think he's he's a key part of what they're doing. And then, as I mentioned, Whiteside at center. And then sort of my two um, freebies, I've got Chris Bosh and Reggie Jackson. Um, Reggie, for me, was on the bubble for a very long time. Um, but when I looked at all of the guards in the Eastern Conference, I felt that Kyle Lowry and Isaiah Thomas were probably the two best overall point guards. But then Reggie really has distinguished himself as being worthy of being in that group. So for me, he he slipped in at that slot. I agree with you. That's kind of what I looked at, too, is I, I just at the point guard spot, uh, could I confidently say he was a top five guard, a top five point guard? And I can definitely say that. And you're right. For me, he was the third best point guard right now in the Eastern Conference. So because of that, I think he has to be an all-star. And I think he, you know, depending on, uh, is it still coach's decision on the reserve spots? You know, that's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. I would have to look. I, yeah, I'm not totally sure, but either way, uh, you know, picking for those reserve spots, he's going to be on that bubble. I think part of it is just, you know, playing on the Pistons, a team that's, you know, on the playoff bubble themselves. Uh, and there's going to be some bigger names out there for guards in the East. Um, I can see John Wall definitely making the, the all-star game. And then I kind of wonder who's that other player. Uh, and I hope it's Reggie Jackson, but I'm not confident that I'll see him in the all-star game. Although I think he is deserving this season. He is deserving. The thing that I think works in his favor is he's just shy of a 20-point-per-game player right now. And, you know, that does tend to catch people's eye. If you're putting up 20 points per game, that tends that tends to be associated with being an all-star. So I think that works in his favor. Um, his assist numbers are, are good, maybe not great, but he is a, he is a fantastic – and he's so fantastic with the basketball. He really is fun to watch in terms of his crossover ability and his ability to change direction. So uh, if that factors in at all, that might work in his favor too. Yeah, definitely. And if they uh, – another guy that if they're just looking at kind of those scoring numbers, uh, DeMar DeRozan. Do you have DeMar DeRozan as an all-star? I don't, but he was on my. He was another bubble player for me. Um, you know, big scorer for one yeah. of the the conference's best teams. I could certainly see him making the game. So, what are your other guards uh, in the East? Yeah, so Isaiah Thomas, Paul George, and Reggie Jackson are my three reserves. And I again considered Paul George a, res- uh, a shooting guard, even though he plays all over the place. Sure. Yeah, he's really playing that that two through four this season. Uh, I've got John Wall, Demar Derozan, and Reggie Jackson. Uh, DeRozan, the the thing that I think he's really improved on this season is his efficiency as a scorer because yep, he was absolutely. someone for a long time that the advanced stats community hated uh, yep. because they thought the way he scored it was it was bad it was bad points right no I totally agree he was a very empty scorer uh, his it was you know twenty points to get twenty shots kind of a player and that's okay, that's okay that's not necessarily a bad thing but it doesn't make you an all star um, I think if I were voting. Who is likely to make the All Star game? I would vote for. I would say DeRozan is very likely to make it, mm-hmm. and I would say John Wall is very likely to make it because just his raw totals. I think he's just about a twenty and ten player right now. Um, that's impressive. Yeah, twenty point three points, nine point six boards. I, I could see him edging out Reggie Jackson for sure. Yeah, I could too, and and that's something that uh, I'm I'm not sure. I I remember they. Um... They've done it recently with a fan vote for the last few spots. Yeah, uh, that's something that 
we would have to really get behind if Reggie Jackson's included because I can see him being included in you know one of the last five players for the last one or two spots that's being considered. Uh, so he's going to be right on that bubble, and it's going to be interesting if he does play. But Andre Drummond, I can confidently say, if he's not a starter, will be in the All Star game. I would be shocked if he was not. I think it would be a complete a complete snub if he was not included into the All-Star game. Uh, But right now, I know he is close to being a starter. It's kind of flipping back and forth right now with uh, Carmelo Anthony in terms of the vote totals. Yeah, and he's a guy I don't even have as an All-Star right now. Um, And, again, that's probably my my stats bias coming through a little bit. He's never been the most efficient scorer, and he's never been a tremendous rebounder, which which hurts some of those advanced numbers. So, to me, um, yeah, Andre, Andre deserves to be the starter. But we've talked about this. The rules don't necessarily make starter a starting center a thing. So very true. Uh, Mello might get that nod regardless. Yeah, and then it's interesting if it's LeBron, uh, Paul George, and Mello who takes the opening tip for that game. That that would be interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, who's going to lose the opening tip? <laughs> right, exactly. Who loses the opening tip of that game? Uh, I I think. Um, Oh, with Carmelo Anthony, just just quickly on him. What I have liked is there's definitely some improvement as a team player. You're seeing his rebounding totals are a little better. And he's playing nicely as a, a leader for that team with Chris Tapps Porzingis. Uh, and I, I think he's, you know, comfortable in his position in New York, which I was really questioning when this season began if he would be okay with a team that, you know, is, is going to be fighting for 35 wins this season. So it's nice to see him kind of settle into that spot in New York. Um, because I could I could have saw that relationship going sour very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can make the case that this is his best overall season, I think. Mm-hmm. And and some of that might have to do with the fact that he he does have some other sort of go to caliber players around him. Um, so you know he's been able to take just a shoulder a little bit less of the load. And personally, surprisingly, he's handled that really well, as you talked about. And I think his play is as strong as it's been at any point in his career. Yeah, and just because the the Knicks are they're not the tire fire they were last season. You know, they're twenty and twenty two this season. They've been playing pretty well. Um they've slowed considerably, but even in their last ten, they they're six and four. So they're still they've been okay. And I think a a large part of it was just how they assembled that roster around Carmelo. You're right, it's not just him and then a group of players that maybe otherwise would not be on an NBA roster like it was last season. So it's I think that will make him as an NBA uh, I think that'll make him an all-star this season just because the Knicks aren't terrible and he's having, again, w- excuse me, one of his better seasons. Yeah, and he sc- he, he scores. I mean, he's a great scorer. Um, and in the all-star game, you know, that's what, that's what a lot of times, as I mentioned, people are looking for. So yeah, I think he would deserve it if he makes it, even though he's not on my team. And I think he's very likely going to make it over Nicholas Batum, who, again, he's one of my sort of, underdog picks because of the stats like him yeah yeah definitely but Batum has had you know he's one of those guys that uh can go for a triple double it gives the team a lot on the defensive end you're right it's maybe not things that always show up he does stuff this stat sheet but it's not always things that show up in that box score uh but he's someone that's doing a great job for a Charlotte team that is starting to struggle a bit, but he's been a big part of, of uh, replacing the loss of Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, which if he was healthy this season, I, I think they would be right there fighting alongside us, Boston, Indiana for those last few spots. Yeah, and I mean, they're still, I mean, they're 18 and 22. Anything can happen, you know, after they have a, an all-star break rest, you know, anything could happen. It's They're not completely out of it yet. 
That's true. It's really just been recently that they've they've really struggled, and, and they're yeah. just starting to struggle yeah. to score, which I think was what a lot of people pre- kind of predicted with that team that they would struggle to 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 score a bit. Um, Kemba Walker's kind of settled down a bit. Um, so we, I, I will say for our for our All Star picks, we do have just about the same group of guys, uh, maybe except for some of the forwards in the East, but across the board, you know. Um, we agree on quite a bit. Do you see um, any of the players that you picked? Do you would you be surprised if they were in the game? Is is Gallo someone that you would be surprised to see in? If there is there surprises one way or the other for for snubs or guys that you think will be in that game? Yeah, I'd be surprised for Gallo to make it, and I'd be surprised for Batum to make it. I'd also be surprised if Isaiah Thomas makes it um, over. John Wall and or Reggie Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hassan Whiteside is kind of my other guy that that might not make it, even though I think he's very deserving. Yeah. So those four guys, I think, are you know those are guys I picked who really the, my statistical analysis sort of drove me in that direction. But I would not be at all surprised if they don't make it. Yeah, and it's crazy that we're talking about the All Star Game at all. I it still feels so far away, but you know we're just just a few weeks left here in January. It, it's amazing that we've reached the halfway point in the season. It seems like it's gone so quick, but yeah, we've got the All-Star game just around the corner. Yeah, and we've got players to lobby for, which over the last few years, I mean, was there any Piston who really deserved to make the All-Star game? I, you know, I don't know if there really anyone was that anyone that was, you know, worthy of that conversation this year. We've got two guys who really have a strong case for making it. So it's fun to be part of that conversation, especially because fans are involved in making those decisions. That's a great point. I can't think of the last time we had a player that I felt I could lobby for the all-star game without totally feeling like a homer it's been a (laughs) good it's been a good what seven eight seasons yeah yep that's crazy but yeah now now it's been the better part of a decade since we've had a player who i you know would really make a passionate case for being worthy of the game and this year we've got two players right and i i know there's been you know greg monroe at the last few seasons a lot of people have have felt very strongly about him making the all-star game as a piston uh but i i just never felt that strong about greg monroe as an all-star uh, but i know that was someone that maybe that's the closest we've been uh is greg monroe maybe two years ago uh but otherwise yeah you're looking at you're right the better part of a decade without an all-star player and I, I expect that that streak comes to an end now with Andre Drummond and maybe with Reggie Jackson as well. Yeah, and I think with Drummond, you're looking at perennial all-star. I think yeah. he's established himself in the Eastern Conference as the most dominant big man. Uh, and we're looking at you know a stretch of five, seven, eight, nine years in a row where he could really potentially be the starter uh, for, for the Eastern Conference. Very true. We're looking at a 22-year-old who's about to sign his big contract. And if he stays at this level, you're right. You're looking at someone who... You know, is is looking at an eight nine time All Star uh, while still being in the prime of his career. So it's it's great that uh, that we have that for uh, the next few next few years to come. Yeah, and as much as I'm not a LeBron James fan, the thought of LeBron throwing alley oops to Andre Drummond on the fast break oh. makes me all kinds of excited. That is that is exciting. It would be very exciting to just have one of our own in the game again. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember back when we had the you know um, was it the year where we had multiple all-stars during the the, yep. go, the going to work days but outside of those few appearances it's nice to have someone who is a budding superstar and even in that stretch we didn't yep. really have that right yeah i mean this it, it takes me back to like the grant hill days i mean that's the last time we've had a young player who the league really respected as a legitimate superstar so it's been 
you know, really it's been that long and, and Andre deserves every bit of that recognition. Yeah, definitely. So anyone who's listening, if you have thoughts about the All-Star game, if you disagree with either of us, definitely comment, let us know, but also, you know, put up some fan posts and, and let us know your own All-Star predictions, uh, something we can follow as that gets closer. Uh, I want to open the mailbag real quick, Ben, because I've got a weird question to ask you. Fantastic. And you're the person whose opinion I want on this. So I got sent uh, a message through Twitter, uh, just to my personal Twitter account, by A underscore Dynamo, asking about, are you ready? Lance Lance Stevenson. Oh. Okay. Man. Is Lance Stevenson worth salvaging? And, And the question is, knowing that he has... (laughs) <laughs> knowing that he has been a thorn in the side of so many Eastern Conference playoff teams. Oh, okay. So I'm going to think about this from two perspectives. As as a player, I actually really like Lance Stevenson. Mm-hmm. I thought that the role he played for that Indiana team was absolutely pivotal to their success. And, yeah, I mean, he is a pest. He is absolutely a pest to deal with on both sides of the ball. And sort of that, you know, in Detroit, we have sort of that history of that, you know, that one player who's sort of borderline unhinged, who we completely embrace because that, you know, that's our history and that's what you're on with. Um, The other way I would look at this is, you know, Lance Stevenson, the person, is that the, and not even as a person, but as a personality, it's probably the better way to say it. We have a really good thing going. I I mean, you watch our bench right now, Reggie Jackson, is competing for an all-star spot right now. But when he's on the bench and Brandon Jennings or Steve Blake is playing well, he's the first one leading the cheerleading. He's the first one off the bench waving towels. And that that's true really for every single position on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. There's something about um, getting along with your teammates that's valuable and that means something. Um, so as a player, yeah, I would risk it. As a personality, you know, I feel the same way about him and Mar- Markeith Morris right now. Even if you could get them for pennies on the dollar, oh man, I don't. I just don't know if I'd take that risk. I think it's fair to say that, yeah. And that's kind of how I felt when I just initially read that because that was someone I was not even thinking about. But I think his time so far in LA has been easy. It's easily been a disappointment, at least for what they expected to get from Lance Stevenson. I think it's been a disappointment. Uh, you know, the Clippers are just coming off that ten-game win streak in which Lance Stevenson didn't play very much. So the team is starting to find their success without him. Uh, That second unit, they're starting to look at guys like Maba Mute and and Wesley Johnson, who all of a sudden is is played in the last few uh, big minutes, instead of Lance Stevenson. So I think he would be available. And it's a contract that, again, it's, it's expiring, so it's someone you're probably just renting to see if he's worth it. But you're right, I don't know if he is worth it. Because even in his time in Indiana when he was you know, playing very well that that last season as a pacer, it's not like he was a great teammate. I, I don't think there was anyone really, I don't think there was a pacer that, that wanted to keep Lance Stevenson. There was no one outspoken that I remember. Uh, so you're right. The player's probably worth it, but I think the, the chemistry of the Pistons right now is a big part of our success. I think these guys get along. They, they want to, they want to work for each other. And I don't know if adding a Lance Stevenson, is worth risking. I don't know if our locker room is strong enough, even with everyone getting along to take on a Lance Stevenson, because we still don't have a big veteran leader. Right. 
Yeah, the upside is that he's still young. I mean, he's only, what, 25 years old, I think, right now? Yeah. So maybe some of that locker room problem stuff is just immaturity that maybe he's growing out of. But, you know, as fans, we don't have access to that. We don't really know one way or the other. Um, But one other thing that's worth considering with respect to just locker room character and chemistry, uh, thinking back to Stanley Johnson versus Justice Winslow, there was that report with, it was either Bauer or SVG, who talked about attitude and who who really praised Johnson's attitude without directly saying anything negative about Justice Justice Winslow, but you could sort of read between the lines and, and see what they were saying there. Mm-hmm. They they went for the player who obviously a lot of physical skills, but had the right kind of attitude that they wanted to bring in as part of the culture. So, you know, that kind of leads me to believe that that's really the directions um, SVG wants to take the franchise. Yeah, I agree with you. And Lance Stevenson just seems like a much larger risk at this point. Although I would love to see that type of player as our backup as our backup two guard. Uh, really, I'd like to see a healthy Jody Meeks. Ideally, that's what I would like to see. But in the meantime, I think it would be nice to have a player like Lance Stevenson. But I just I don't think it's worth the risk. But then when I think about someone like Markeith Morris, that's someone I think might be worth the risk because if he is engaged and his head's on right and maybe playing with his brother will do that, and really maybe just getting out of Phoenix right now might do that, that's someone I would be much more willing to take a risk on because I believe that he could keep it together. Uh, under the right circumstance. Lance Stevenson, he just hasn't proven that yet. Yeah, he, I mean, blowing in people's faces. and Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's there's something going on there. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, and I, you're right. It's part of the Pistons' attitude, but it's not really the attitude of the players that Stan Van is bringing on. That's a good point about Justice Winslow. I forgot about that, that the, the high character and the leadership and, and you know saying all the right things was something they really liked about Stanley Johnson. I forget about that, but it's it's true. If that's what they're looking for, those types of players, uh, then yeah, the Lance Stevensons of the world just might not have a spot on the on right. the Pistons. It's not a bad thing. That's not that's not a negative. It's just another type of player that we're going. Yeah, for. I mean, and if Lance were playing like he played, what was it two years ago for Indiana? Oh yeah. If he were playing that caliber of basketball, caliber of basketball, it's a different conversation because the risk reward analysis is so different then because the reward is just through the roof, but he has, he's only done that for one season and he hasn't proved that he's capable of it again in a different situation. So, right. He is showing, you know, at least this season, the one thing I've taken away is he's shooting 35% from three. It's again, small volume. It's, it's not a big, um, you know, it's not many shots that you're looking at, but he's showing that that season in Charlotte and the terrible shooting numbers, that that might be the outlier of the group, and he's yeah. probably closer to being a 33 34% yeah. three-point shooter. Absolutely. He's proven that he's a legitimate NBA player, um, whereas last year that was a, an honest question. Yeah. I think his his one season in Indiana, the question was, is he is he potentially a star? And I don't think that conversation is happening anymore. Yeah. Uh, I was listening recently just to, to kind of uh... – to, to wrap up on, on a bit of trade talk. I, I was listening to the Zach Lowe podcast recently. He was talking to Mark Stein, and uh, they were talking about this summer's free agency and everyone having money and how difficult is it going to be for the poor Brooklyn Nets to try to rebuild this thing, uh, oh, knowing goodness. knowing that everyone has money. So it's not like you can just throw a big contract at someone. Everyone can do that. And they were talking about maybe restricted free agents. Maybe you can throw a big deal at a restricted free agent and let a team think. And I thought it was really interesting that Zach Lowe very openly said that one guy that might not be on the market but will probably be a very, you know, uh, a big-name restricted free agent this summer will be Donatus Montiunas, and that is because the Detroit Pistons are very interested in Donatus. Uh, So it's either he's staying in Houston or it looks like Detroit is ready to overpay him. 
And it's, some, it's something that hasn't really been picked up, but Zach Lowe's one of those guys that's just he's, – he's engaged enough in the basketball community that I do oh, kind of believe that. So Donatus Montiunis, again, probably his third episode mention on this show. Absolutely. But I, I thought that was really interesting that he's someone that we really like. Yeah, well, I'll go buy a Donuts t-shirt right away. <laughs> Absolutely. not only does he have a fantastic nickname, I, I am intrigued by him as a player, especially if Stan Van Gundy is coaching him. So that's a great find. I had not heard that. That's a great find. Yeah, I was, I was, I loved hearing that because I was, you know, just trying to get an idea of, you know, who who is that that future stretch for? Because that's the one kind of position in doubt. At least we don't have a starter in that spot right now. And Donatus is someone that, yeah, definitely fits the mold for what Stan Van is looking for. And Houston, they, they've got a lot of decisions to make this summer, uh, but they've had, you know, the emergence of Montrez Harrell. Terrence Jones is someone that they like, uh, Clinton Capella. So they've got these groups of young forwards. One of them's going to have to go. So I, I can see us making that offer to Donatus and Houston just saying, you know, it's it's too rich for our blood. We're going to move on without him. Yeah, and I like Terrence Jones too. So I say, we, you know, we go after whichever one of those two the Rockets can't maintain because both of them are quality players and would fit extremely nicely next to uh, Andre Drummond. Yes, definitely. I think I put uh, Donatus at the top of my list. So that's the guy I'm looking forward to. And just another one to to keep your eye out on. And I also have been reading recently that, you know, Houston could be a team that's, you know, active in the trade market. So maybe that's someone we risk to just rent and, and see if it works out a little like we did with Reggie Jackson. So I, again, I don't see us making that big move, but that's someone that maybe we can, you know, try to work around if we see him as part of the future. Well, uh, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So, again, we're going to open up the mailbag. I'll post it in uh, this episode's in this episode's post. I'll definitely mention the Detroit uh, Bad Boys mailbag. Just ask us some questions, and, you know, we definitely will do our best to run through them. Uh, thank you so much for listening again. Ben, anything you want to you wanna leave everyone with for this week? Important week of basketball ahead. Uh, finishing strong before the All-Star break could be a really important part of the Pistons' playoff chances. Yeah, definitely. And we have some exciting things uh, coming up on the podcast, but next week, you're right, it's it's a big week. We'll have a lot to talk about. So I'll be talking to you soon, Ben. Thanks. Sounds good. All right.